1: This is an RNZ podcast. Peke Kakemai, Welcome
2: to Country Life. I'm Sally Round. G'day. Great to have your company. I'm Duncan Smith. Today, we take you on a tour of an on-land fish farm in
1: Northland. We chat to a Golden Bay farmer who's turned back the clock and is seeing the benefits.
2: And later... Cosmo visits a farm focused on rehabilitating drug addicts. Getting green fingers is part of their journey to recovery. But first,
1: let's get the latest from our rural news reporter, Sally Murphy. And There's been some great news for those sheep farmers sick of writing out cheques for their wool instead of receiving them.
3: Yeah, some great news. It's no secret that it's been costing farmers to shear their sheep in recent times, and that's meant many have been skimping on some of the jobs in the wool shed to keep quality up. But the good news is crossbred wool prices have climbed to their highest level in seven years and farmers are being urged to put more effort and money into preparing their clip. Dave Burridge is wool sales manager at PGG Wrightson and he says the better prepared fleeces are fetching 70 cents more per kilo than lesser quality wool. India uh, has picked up a um, quite a percentage of the New Zealand crossbred wool club as well, and it's, it's been the, the better prepared, better style,
4: better colour, uh, white wools that have led the charge.
1: And there's some new technology
3: for farmers to deal with farm emissions. Yes, portable chambers, which farmers can pop their stock into to measure their burping, will now be available for cattle. The is aimed at helping farmers deal with methane emissions in the fight against climate change. Sheep chambers have been out there for a while now, and that technology has even been picked up in parts of Europe. Ag researchers Dr Suzanne Rowe says the walk-through chambers can be parked on-farm and measure the animals while at pasture, taking 45 minutes per beast.
5: I think what will happen is that we
3: will use it to help bull breeders to create breeding values that they can
5: put alongside their normal breeding values so that people have the opportunity, should they want to, to select animals that that are also low methane.
1: Now you have some news about one of the big players in the horticultural industry.
3: Yes, the Bostock Group is advertising some or all of the business is for sale. The company is one of Hawke's Bay's best-known food producers and on the market is 2,500 hectares, which includes 750 hectares of apple orchards and 1,700 hectares of cropping land, which is planted with squash, onions and grain. An ad says the transaction structure hasn't been finalised but may comprise a sale of shares in Bostock Group Limited, an investment into the entity or a sale of some or all of the assets. The owner of the company, John Bostock, would not comment on the sale.
1: And the cyclone that hit Vanuatu this week has had an impact on new Vanuatu coming here to work.
3: That's right, Central Otago viticulturalist James Dicey says about 30 RSE workers from Vanuatu are already on his vineyards and 20 more were due to arrive this weekend. He says those still to come have a tough decision. Do they come and earn money or stay and help with the rebuild if that's needed?
2: The nice thing is that the guys that have been with me for a number of years, and I've got people 10, 12, 15, they've built concrete block accommodation. Those houses are now actually being used as evacuation shelters. When my second to I see Sam Tatto, a large amount of his community in West Ambram where he lives, um, sheltering either in the church uh, or in his house.
3: James told us the workers here haven't been able to contact their families and they're wondering if they're needed back at home.
1: Now just on cyclone damage, the harvesting practices of two Tairawhiti forestry companies are coming under the spotlight.
3: They are. An international auditor has been brought in to review their practices. We've all seen the images of logs and other forest debris clogging rivers and smashing through farmland after the storms and cyclones of 2018 and 2023. And since then, the Gisborne District Council has successfully prosecuted a number of forest companies. Now an international body, the Forest Stewardship Council, has ordered a Canadian expert to check out the practices of two firms – The council, the FSC, sets standards around responsible forest management and forest companies need its tick of approval to sell their products into most markets.
1: And who will be the top dog in this weekend's trans-Tasman dog trials? Down your way, Sally.
3: Well, New Zealand has nabbed the aptly named Wailago Trophy 21 times since the competition started back in 1985, and of course they're hoping to take it back off Australia, who are the current title holders. Team captain Neil Evans had a few tips for doing well in the old sport.
2: A good heading dog's got to have a big heart, it's got to have a bit of strength, and it's got to have a nice touch. And if you get those three things together, the rest sort of takes care of itself, but Obviously there's a wee bit of luck on the day with the sheep we draw.
1: And just finally, how are farmers coping with the big chill as we head
3: into summer? Well, it's pretty cold out on the farm in Otago in Southland with a couple of inches of snow falling on Friday morning but it hasn't caused any issues and farmers we've spoken to are just cracking on with things.
6: This is Country Life on RNZ National 101FM.
3: After being
2: encouraged to drain wetlands on their farm in the 80s, a Golden Bay couple are already seeing the benefits of transforming the land back to its natural state. Tony Riley and his wife Kathy have transformed a section of their Motu Pepe farm back into wetland. It's been done in two stages over the past two years in a bid to improve the health of the tributary. Tony spoke to Sally Murphy about the project.
4: Well, the wetland is really a restoration project really because uh, we started farming back here on our own account with my wife Kathy in 1982. And uh, in the late 80s, we were encouraged by the catchment boards in those days to um, drain wetlands and tidy them up so we could increase the um, amount of pastoral land. And so we um, straightened a a, um, meandering creek out into a nice straight ditch and uh, removed a whole lot of crack willows. And uh, so that it was was a meandering creek back in the 80s up until then. And then for the last few years, been a um, straight line ditch running through, or still a creek, but um, uh, it floods. The, the catchment's quite large so it, it catches quite a bit of water. And so when there's a rain event, and Golden Bay has quite a lot of rain, so when it rains, it's, uh, it comes up and floods right across the the wee gully floor that it is. The, the wetland is an area of about a hectare or just under a hectare of land. And so it's been divided into three stages. The first stage was done a couple of years ago, which um, Kathy and I planted. And then the last... The next stage was done last autumn and uh, that was a bigger area and so folks came in and did the planting for us on that one. I think it was about six or 7,000 native trees which were sourced locally, which was great. So this has been funded from the Jobs for Nature's projects that was provided in the Previous few years, and we've got one more stage to go, which is going to be um, undertaken this this coming autumn, which will complete the wetland itself. So, uh, but it's quite a project because the, the Tasman District Council have um, a resource consent to undertake the project, which is runs to about 18 pages. So they've been managing that. Um, Blair Reed has been the project um, manager for that, and the relationship with the council and undertaking the project has worked very very well, and um, it's coming along exceptionally well. It looks lovely at the moment with all the spring growth that's been happening in the first two stages that have been done.
3: Yeah, I was going to say, what does it look like? Have you noticed more wildlife coming back to the area because of the wetland?
4: Yes, yes, very much so. So the Drake Creek Ditch approach that I was talking about earlier is now back into a meandering uh, creek and uh, some of the wee small springs in the sides of the banks have been um, made into lakes and little wee ponds and lakes, if you like. We've always got heaps of pukekos and mallards, but um, the um, I guess the most significant one that we've seen is um, in the area has been um, some juvenile bittens, um, and so it's quite nice to see that wildlife returning, and uh, particularly the many of the um, carrot sectors and the like of um, just thriving in the environment.
3: And so, with jobs, of, you know, for nature, and you mentioned the council, has it been quite a collaborative uh, approach?
4: Yes, yes, and um, we've had uh, the local iwi involved at, at, at stage two as well with Karakira at the beginning of the project there. We've also had Project Divine have been um, coming and releasing and, and they did the main planting as well, which is a, a, um, a, a wonderful group in Golden Bay looking at um, getting rid of um, uh, wilding pines and, and the banana passion fruit.
3: Because I know some farmers have had issues getting resource consents for we- to create wetlands simply because it's so expensive was that an issue for you at all?
4: not at all no that it was initiated by the Tasman District Council and uh, both Trevor James as well as Blair Reid, who's um, now managing the project have made that very smooth and that was the the costest for like for that was handled by the council but it was a, a very detailed document and uh the 18 pages uh, of conditions so it meant that when we were doing any of the changing of the uh, water course we had to have um, consultants available to um, initially catch all the fish that were in the in the area to be altered and then um, put them back after the stream's been um, settled down and making sure we'd catch the sediment running away um, down and into because this is a small creek that re- runs into uh, the um, Pippi River and then out to sea into Golden Bay.
3: And so what's the plan for stage three in the coming autumn? What needs to be done?
4: The final stage really, it's um, pretty much the same. We're wanting to keep locally sourced natives and uh, it's the last bit of unst- unstraightening, if you like, of the watercourse and uh, creating some more ponds and uh, a, a more sweeping uh, creek.
3: And in total, how much land is the wetland taking up or will it take up that you've lost from the farm?
4: Oh, it would be just under a hectare of land that's, that we've foregone. It was, when we first cleared it, It was we were adding it to the land area, but in hindsight it wasn't growing a lot and it was very wet and not as productive as the rest of the soils that we have. So it took me a lot to, initially to um, get the project off the ground because I'd spent many hours on the end of a chainsaw getting rid of the crack willows and taking the trees out of there when I was a younger person. Uh, But now when you see it progressing like it is with the new growth for the last two years on the natives, it's it's a beautiful area up there now.
3: What's it been like to see the change, obviously from being told to drain it, to now knowing that wetlands are, are pretty vital for the environment?
4: Yes it's quite a change um, because like of course when we got the diggers in to straighten it in the late 80s there was no issues around water in terms of um, having to get consents to have a digger near the waterways and uh, it was just a project that we were encouraged by the Nelson Marlborough Catchment Board to get on with. In fact there was some support for the digger costs at that time so it's um, in our farming lifetime it's quite a transition from that type of thing but uh, as things change it's wonderful to see the,
2: the respect for nature. Tony Riley in Golden Bay talking to Sally Murphy.
1: Leah Tebbett's taking us now to Northland's Ruakaka Beach, where a decades-long land-based fish farming trial is starting to make a splash.
7: You can hear the sound of summer. (laughs) The sun is shining and the sea is slapping against the shore.
8: You'll see why I came here 18 years ago and haven't left. So this is the hardship posting in Niwa on this gorgeous beach.
7: So we've got Marsden Point to our left. What's this island right Oh, there's a
8: hand in checks.
7: I'm standing on the beach at Breen Bay with Andrew Forsyth, was chief scientist of aquaculture. For 18 years he's been researching the feasibility of growing kingfish on land and today he's giving us behind the scenes access starting with how they get the water into the tanks for literally
8: thousands of fish. Alright, so we're standing here on the beach and on the left there's two yellow cans And and those are the intake and discharge for the original Marsden B power station. And they each have a pipe going out to them. The Pipes right. are huge, they're 2.4 meter diameter pipes. So we take from Marsden A, we bring it in, we do, we filter it, we distribute it to the aquaculture park, then we capture uh, waste di- from the discharge and return the water to the sea on the right hand side.
7: Let's go back down before the wind blows us away. Yeah. From the beach, Andrew and I walk back into the gated facility that used to house the Marsden Power Station. For 21 years now, this has been home to NIWA's Northland Marine Research Centre. They've reused infrastructure, like the pipes, which once used to bring in seawater for cooling purposes. Now the pipes supply water to the fish tanks. The focus of the facility is to produce high value fish with a commercial reality.
8: This is really the focus of all of Niwa's aquaculture research and development. For most of that time, we've been working on two species, uh, yellowtail kingfish and hapuku. And we now are in a position where we've got the yellowtail kingfish, all the, the the breeding, the nutrition, the growing, the, the rearing systems to a point where we feel it's truly ready to commercialize properly. Mm-hmm. Land-based production brings a lot of benefits mm-hmm. and that gives you total control of the environment. You, uh, Because this is a, a relatively warm water fish, if you put it in, in a land-based system and the temperature rises mm-hmm. uh, through the activities of the fish and the activities of the system, um, the fish grow faster they grow better so so you get you get benefits the the point of difference perhaps between fish farming and you know cows and chickens yeah. <laughs> and pigs is that within the normal range of temperature for the animal the warmer it is the faster they grow yeah. so if you can manage the environment optimally you can get the best possible outcome And then the whole idea of having them in tight control, you avoid pathogens and parasites. It's interesting, in in the aquaculture world, the perception is that somehow farms are a reservoir for parasites and pathogens to go to the wild. In almost all cases I'm aware of, it's the other way around. Mm -hmm. And and so you want to protect your animals. And so the control is everything. Any farmer will tell you that... you know, if they can irrigate and manage the, the soil and moisture optimally, manage the nutrients optimally, they get better performance. And yeah. the same thing with fish. So the water comes in into what was originally the intake system for the power stations, and we have multiple pumps, which then put it through these various filters to our right and then distribute to the system.
7: The aquaculture system is a lot like an aquarium on a very large scale, between 95 and 99 percent of the water is treated and reused, which we will learn more about later. So we're walking now in between a a couple of buildings and I'm starting to smell a bit bit more of a a sea life sort of smell, if you know what I mean.
8: (laughs) So what we're going to do is we're going to walk and look at one group of broodstock. We have multiple tanks through the facility, it'll be a bit noisy, but I'll just, so these are adult brood that are going to spawn in the summer. What's very attractive about kingfish is they, um, they're very easy to breed in that their cues for breeding are day length and temperature. And so you can adjust the day length and temperature and almost to the day, choose when you want them to produce eggs for you. So you can, you can say, okay, we need eggs in three months, we'll start them into spring, ramp up the temperature, ramp up the day length, and virtually to the day we'll have egg supply. And by having multiple tanks, on different timelines you can effectively have a, almost a continuous supply of eggs into your hatchery and because the hatchery cycle is quite short that continuous supply means that a relatively small incubation and in early rearing facility can produce a very large number of eggs our infrastructure here is probably capable of producing about a million eggs a million juveniles fit for purpose juveniles without big changes and that would be enough to support an industry producing maybe 3,000 tonnes. So, several times what we're doing now with our first commercial prototype.
7: So what we're standing and looking at is literally a massive, massive water tank with a few friendly fish (laughs) swimming around and around. I guess that's the sort of only thing they can do, is it? Oh,
8: and, and that's all they seem to want to do. Th- they want to swim and eat, and when the, se- when the season strikes, them breed. Now, a big female in here will produce perhaps three or four litres of eggs every four days. And when you think about uh, you know, 400,000 eggs per liter, there's literally millions upon millions of eggs produced. The reason we have so many brood stock uh, is to give us the genetic basis of continuous improvement
7: you may be wondering how harvesting 600 tons of fish a year in 3500 square meters can be done in an environmentally friendly way and there
8: is muck you know yeah. and and i think all our farming activities you know terrestrial or marine they they make use of the environment and and i think there's been a huge amount of overblown honestly nonsense about aquaculture screwing up the environment, you know, and, and it can be done sensitively um, but you also have to consider the social license issues and the, and the legal aspects of access to resources and now with a changing climate, I think we, we also we want to insulate ourselves from extreme events. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, it lines up nicely and putting it on land, we have control over the animals, we can keep the, give them the optimal environment we can capture and manage the discharges so, so you don't get discharges that exceed the assimilation capacity of the receiving environment. You know, that, that's the thing is, you can farm in the ocean and as long as you don't exceed the carrying capacity of the, of the ecosystem to assimilate the wastes, it's fine. It's like putting manure in the field. You know, as long as you don't overload it, you're fine. Yeah. Um, now we're going to, uh, imagine I'd shown you the breeding fish that were in season and then we're producing eggs. The next thing down the line is where the eggs would go.
7: The hatchery? Yeah.
8: So come on up here, just don't slip.
7: We've got a various amount of tanks in here.
8: Each tank would receive a litre of eggs and the eggs, the animals are only in here for a few days.
7: So and if so, we look really closely, it almost looks like the word water's murky from afar. But as you go closer, you can see these actual individual okay. organisms. Now
8: these have eggs in them, so you can see those tiny translucent spheres. They're only slightly bigger than the ball on the end of a ballpoint pen, and there's you know 400,000 in there. <laughs> and then when they hatch, they hatch out and they look like this, which is like very small mosquito larvae. It's yes. the best thing I can think of.
7: Yeah, you did right.
8: And as they start to develop, they'll start to lay down pigments. So the pigment cells start growing, and then they become, where they go from translucent to a, a darker animal. So we'll go down here, and we'll go back the way we came. All oh, these foot baths and hand-dip hand stations. So we're trying to keep there's these l- levels of biosecurity. So we're, we're always trying to minimize any risk of contamination.
7: Which is the water at the front of every every room. Yeah. While you have to squint to notice the fish in the hatchery and nursery, Andrew says it takes just 12 months for the kingfish to be ready for market. So off we head to find them.
8: So if you've been to been to the big city of Auckland and been to the the cloud, yes. this building is the same, structurally the same as the cloud and we headed up before the cyclone came through and we were very pleased with the you know, you, durability. You, durability you didn't get a sense that it was gonna blow away at all.
1: Yeah.
8: So we're coming on the bottom level and uh, the tanks are about three meters deep. So we, we're coming up to the deck.
7: Yes, it's a bit of a hike up the stairs. So
8: we're standing at the, at the west end and we see four tanks in front of us the four tanks on this, on the right, are connected to their own dedicated treatment system at the, beyond that curtain wall at the end. yes. And the four tanks on the left go to their uh, second treatment cell. So these fish are just over a kilo now. And yeah, they w- look
7: similar to, to maybe a, a 30 centimeter-sized yeah. Yeah. fish.
8: So uh, they'll grow, we'll grow them to three kilos. They should be three kilos in November.
7: That's not very far away. not very far away. (laughs) It's the beginning of September now. But these ones are swimming against the curve. (laughs) Because what we're looking at is essentially this this massive, I can't think of a better word to describe it than massive, bigger than a swimming pool, you know. And they're just sort of circling their way around it.
8: Waiting for food to come in.
7: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. How many fish would be in each tank, could you estimate?
8: Typically 10,000.
7: And each tank up yeah, here? Yeah. And there's eight? Yes. So that's one breeding brood, yeah. right?
8: Uh, th- yeah, so that whole thing would be literally less than a day's egg cake from one brood fish. Yeah. You know? So it's, you can understand that we do have a lot of brood fish.
7: i walking through the curtain wall now. I can start to see the water treatments that you're talking about.
8: This is a working biofilm. So the water exits the tanks, comes down, and those three black domed areas, each have a thing called a drum filter, which screens out the particulate waste. And then the waste is caught, captured there. The water then moves into the, this segmented uh, basin, and it is our biofilter. So these are about half-filled with small plastic media
7: Like a little Lego piece, if you could put it any other way. With
8: lots of texture in it. And so it it comes out of these biofilters and then goes into a channel under our feet and flows down here. And in this channel there's then a UV sterilizing system. Then it flows into this chamber with the tortuous... with the walls that allow force the water to go back and forth and back and forth as it goes across. And really that takes care of the second major waste product from the fish. So one waste product obviously is ammonia, the second of course because they're respiring, they're consuming oxygen and they're producing carbon dioxide. We do see an opportunity to take the kingfish right through to market size on land and systems. And and particularly nice in New Zealand because we are predominantly renewable energy and we're bringing in more renewable energy. So we'll be able to say that, you know, not only are we making best use of the natural resources without stuffing them up when we discharge, but we are also can use renewables for energy inputs. Mm -hmm. Uh, So um, it's, I think in the end of the day, we end up with a very sustainable story
1: Newer Aquaculture Chief Scientist Dr Andrew Forsyth talking to Leah Tebbett. And if you're lucky enough, you may be able to wrap your lips around a fillet. The farmed kingfish are already featuring on restaurant menus across Auckland and in the odd restaurant in other parts of the country.
9: Hi, I'm Sam Neill. I'm here at Two Paddocks. And you're listening to Country Life on RNZ, my favourite show.
2: Now to Templeton near Christchurch, which is home to a busy addiction rehabilitation centre. The charity which runs the facility, Nova Trust, also has a horticulture and farming enterprise, which connects those undergoing rehab with the land. Cosmo Kentish Barnes took a trip there to find out more, and firstly caught up with Nova Trust's chief executive, Steve Russell.
10: Nova Trust is situated on about 30 hectares of prime land on what used to be the old Templeton Hospital site. So our main buildings in terms of our rehabilitation services are, in actual fact, the old nurses' accommodation and admin block. Tell
9: me about these services you provide here.
10: Well, the Trust was developed back in 1981 by and founded by was a local builder and businessman and some colleagues from Christchurch. Don Malcolm was the original founder and was the chair for, I think, the first 20-odd years. So the services that we operate now are primarily focused on responding to the needs of those with addiction. So the purpose of the organisation, the trust itself, is to create pathways and to a better life and recovery for those affected by alcohol and drug addiction and other life challenges. So we operate three residential services on the same site, each with a slightly different uh, client group or Fiora group, and we work with about 100, 120 residents come through the service each year.
9: Yes, and I guess you have quite a few staff working here. Yeah, we've got
10: about 40 staff. Sort of full-time equivalent staff. Most of those staff are working within the residential treatment and recovery services. And then we have a team of paid staff that work in the horticulture, social enterprise, and the native nursery.
9: Mm. Where does the funding come from to run Nova Trust? Right, the bulk of our
10: fund core funding is contracted with Health NZ, uh, previously the Ministry and the DHBs. And we get small amounts of charitable income. And then for the social enterprises, they operate very much as commercial businesses. And the revenue received obviously funds the operations of those social enterprises, the horticulture and, and native plant nursery. And the plan is that that funding also supports and underpins some of the, the health funding.
9: Mm. How great that those social enterprises are handy for the trust in terms of uh, raising funds, but also are great for the service users, I guess, in terms of their rehabilitation.
10: Yeah, I mean, it's an integral part of what we do in terms of the horticultural farming and the native nursery, in as much as they provide life and employment skills opportunities or the development of skills around, you know, general life and living, whether that's cooking cleaning looking after yourself but also that experience of the workaday routines that fit them very well for reintegrating back into the community post post treatment
11: Kia ora my name's Boyd Warren I'm the commercial manager here at Nova Trust I oversee the social enterprises the farm indoor growing outdoor growing and the native plant nursery and Boyd the residents work on the farm with you Absolutely. The life and employment skills component of the recovery programme is really neat to be involved with. The fire auto volunteer between 12 and 15 hours a week while they're, while they're on site and work alongside the team. What does a normal day involve? <laughs> or checking on the livestock, working with the team on any issues they've got in terms of things they need to do their jobs and uh, dealing with customers for the native plant nursery and for the fresh produce, potentially talking to a stock agent, seed merchant. Yeah, pretty varied. And so you have commercial partners? We do. We're very well supported by the two main markets, Turners and Growers and MG. Uh, they've really bought into the Nova Kaupapa, uh, particularly the life and employment skills aspect and great partners to us.
9: Yeah, does some of the produce that's
11: grown here end up in supermarkets? Absolutely, uh, we get great support actually from foodstuffs locally. They um, buy our fresh chilies, which you'll see soon, and my food bag also support us by putting our cucumbers into their uh, menus quite regularly. So yeah, we've got a. I guess you'd call it a competitive advantage in, in fact, we've got a very worthy purpose in what we do that underpins not just the vegetable and beef production but the uh, Life and Employment Skills Programme, helping order get well and uh, re-enter community. So you've got Nova Fresh. What about Nova Natives? Sure, Nova Natives grows, unsurprisingly, native plants and we do a lot of contract growing for Fulton Hogan so they're big projects where they're doing infrastructure work around quarries, roads, you know, all sorts of amenity planting, quite often the plants will come from here. I think we've probably supplied them 100,000 plants in the last couple of years, so, you know, not insignificant numbers. So this farming social
9: enterprise is providing important revenue for the whole trust?
11: Yeah, completely intertwined financially. The support programme couldn't operate, I don't think, without the social enterprise and certainly the social enterprise couldn't operate without the support programme. So, yeah, it's a completely simpatico relationship. We are standing
9: beside several paddocks and we can see
11: some cattle in the distance. What sort of breed are they? We have got some Frisian steers over there. Uh, we're very lucky, you know, the, the trust attracts some Really lovely support from uh, local dairy farmers who will give us a a few steer calves every year. And then over to our left there you can see a cultivated paddock where we've got 2.8 hectares of beetroot which will be ready for harvest from mid-December. And in this paddock we're standing right in front of has just been sprayed off. It's another 2.5 hectares that will also be going into beetroot. Why beetroot? We are good at growing beetroot and we've got markets for it as well. So you'll produce, what, tonnes? Yeah, in the hundreds of tonnes. Where are we heading to now? We are going to head over to our indoor growing where you'll see all our cucumbers and chillies.
9: We are approaching a huge set of tunnel houses here. Yeah, we've got uh, seven tunnel
10: houses across the site, so that accounts for about 8,000 square metres of tunnel housing.
9: Now, we've just come into one of the tunnel houses and uh, the cucumber plants here are two metres tall?
10: Yeah, they're two metres tall, so these are probably coming towards the end of their sort of growing cycle, so they've got probably a week or two more to do. And
9: on each plant there are several cucumbers yeah these look pretty ready to be picked off uh, the vine at the moment you must have trucks coming here quite regularly to pick up
10: produce we have our own truck we take it directly to the market so the produce that we grow here we sort of manage the whole process from seed all the way to the supermarket shelves and the resident population are involved in all aspects of that certainly in terms of the horticulture which is great, because they can see something literally grow from seed to mm. something they then go and buy in the supermarket, which is a huge impact on self-esteem for someone involved in all of that process.
9: How long do people stay here on average?
10: Most of the residents or Fiora that we have coming for treatment and recovery are staying probably 12 weeks. We have programmes operating three to six months and we have another service that operates a placement programme of eight weeks, and that's working with some of the most severely addicted resident population in the country, actually.
9: Now I can see Harry, the production manager, down between the cucumbers. How's it going, Harry? Yeah, good, how are you? Good,
6: thanks. So tell me what your day-to-day role is. So like in our day-to-day role, in summer we do the picking every alternate day, like Monday, Wednesday and Friday. And on other days we have to train the plant. So we do the winding, then we have to remove the tendrils and other extra fruits and the laterals. And we have to train our plants for uh, good productions. Mm. So that's our regular duty. Otherwise we picking them and we also reduce the leaf load on the plant as well.
9: Mm. Yeah. How do you work in
6: the residents into the production process? Yes. Yep. Like I try to find out like what's he like or she likes and what she don't like and on the basis of that or oh, even I also try to find out like what their past background and then I find out like okay and the person gonna shoots over here and then I slowly introduce them. I find out like few residents once they finish their course they are like a like a good horticulturist. Yeah, so that's pretty good.
11: So you can just see through the past that you have just been planted for look at Well this is uh, where we grow our chilies, and it sounds like some of the Fiora have got the beets on to get the work pumping and keep the motivation up. Let's go and check it out. These are capsicum annuum but cayenne pepper. So they're replacement chilli plants just coming on. You can see some of the uh, larger ones, the older ones over there, they're in full fruit at the moment. How often do you harvest the uh, the chilies? Yeah, chilies are harvested uh, on the same rotation as the cucumbers, you know, three times a week in summer, twice a week in winter when it's a bit cooler. Yeah, harvest them from about eight centimetres. What's the most popular coloured chilli? Yeah, I understand that about 90% of all the chilies sold in New Zealand are, are red, and so, but we actually focus on the green ones. just. Because we're smaller, that's a wee niche we can kind of carve
0: out. Hi, Sam. Hi.
11: What are you up to in
9: here?
0: Um, I'm pretty much just taking some leaves off the chilies so that they can keep growing and yeah. Nice job. It is. It's relaxing, therapeutic.
9: Have you tasted these chilies that no, you're working on? I hate on?
0: spices.
9: <laughs> Where are you from?
0: I'm from Tauranga.
9: And how long have you been at at Nova?
0: Um this will be I've been here two and a half weeks.
9: And what's your story? How did you end up here?
0: Um oh pretty much through alcohol addiction? Yeah. So we don't have a lot of um facilities up in Toninga to be able to help with that. So yeah, we pretty much came down here to sort life out.
9: Mm. Are you enjoying this plant and growing aspect to your recovery?
0: Definitely, definitely. I think if it wasn't there I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to to cope really i think it gives it another dynamic to be able to get out and about and yeah do something something like this and i thought well if i enjoy it that's going to help with my recovery what were
9: you doing before you came here what sort of work
0: oh plasterer by trade but the body's getting a bit too old now so yeah gotta yeah, gotta to, got to take a step back and think about what i enjoy and this yeah. is definitely it
9: what are your goals once you've had some time out here
0: I think maybe just to go home and, yeah, be, be more present, really, and, and get back into work and enjoy life as it should be without waking up every day thinking of alcohol and, and stuff like that, yeah. Yes,
9: yes. Has it been a challenge getting off the booze?
0: Yeah, very much so, very much. It's one of those addictions you don't think is that bad, but it's definitely a life changer physically and mentally, especially when you're young.
9: Now Boyd you are contract growing some chillies here and these are
11: the hot ones Yeah very hot, probably too hot for me Uh, We've got the scotch bonnet and the chocolate butlar and the habanero red But uh, this is our first go at these and they don't seem to strike as quickly or as successfully as the commercial avatar that we normally grow But um, they're coming away Who are you growing those for? Uh, a local hot sauce maker called Spicy Boys.
9: We're behind the tunnel houses now
11: and I guess this is the Nova Natives area that we're approaching. Yeah, that's right. This is the planting out area for Nova Natives and we can see our expert plant man, Jake, over there amongst the Plagianthus regius. Uh, Good, yep. thank you. How are you? Yeah, must be
12: bad. So what is your role here, Jake? I'm production coordinator, so that's basically just in charge of all the production and crop care of the nursery itself and propagation as well, yeah.
9: What have you got to growing?
12: Mostly re type plants, so um, a lot of ribbonwoods, uh mulimbiccias, beech trees, pitosporums, cabbage trees, flaxes, all your usual suspects. And some of the plants
9: are up to a metre tall. They must be ready to go in the ground.
12: Yeah, well, yeah, we've got a lot of stuff sort of waiting on landscapers to really get going depending on their site works and when they're ready to plant. Do landscapers contact you? Um, how does it work? Yeah, they usually contact us um, a few weeks in advance to let us know that they're going to be planting, and then we'll um, get the plants ready for sale, and um, they'll come and pick them up. By the end of the year, how many plants would you have sent off? Oh, last year, we probably maybe thirty or 40,000, but that's increasing every year. Uh, the nursery is only a couple years old, so we're still in the sort of start-up phase. Yes. But we recently secured a big contract, growing contract, with the Christchurch City Council, so we're trying to sort of plan for that. It must be satisfying for you, having, you know, recovering
9: addicts, growing plants and uh, working yeah, with them.
12: absolutely. Plants are my first passion, but, you know, since working here, that's been a real eye-opener and just seeing how much horticulture can actually impact on people's lives, even if it's just something as simple as getting up every morning, doing a wee bit of physical exercise and that, you know, forms them to a good mental state as well. So that's been a real rewarding part of my job.
9: I can see uh, a couple of people working on the other side of the natives.
12: Are they residents? Yeah, so those are two of my crew, Tony and Peter. So they've been um, doing a lot of the weeding at the moment. Um, They were doing a lot of potting up, but the potting up sort of slowed down at the moment, so... We're just trying to get on top of the weeds before they explode. Yeah, weeding is one of those jobs that no one wants to do, but it has to be done. Yeah, that's one of the drawbacks of horticulture is um, weed control. It's always very time consuming. Hi, my name's Peter. I'm from uh, Christchurch
6: and I sort of came in about six weeks ago and I came here mainly because it involved horticultural work as well as some rehab. And, uh, you know, it's a nice vista everywhere. It's nice to look round. I can see a skiff of snow through the hedges over there on the mountains. Yeah, the snow doesn't last that long, but I think it's having the animals round as well. You know, it's familiar having the smell of sheep, cattle and sheep. How did you end up here? What are you recovering from? I'm recovering from drugs and alcohol. Uh, not particularly one or the other, but a lot of them. And uh, I went through some trauma a long time ago, a lot of things I didn't deal with. I, I haven't always been in this position. I've had successful jobs where I've had to be responsible. I've travelled overseas. But I just isolated myself till I was just drinking every day and doing other drugs. Mm. And uh, But I couldn't handle going to a, a rehab where it's just education. So this is why this place appealed to me. Mm. And also we eat really well here. So... If you combine all those things of being outside, doing some horticulture, ha- ha- having the classes in the afternoon, which I-, I-, I don't really need, but you do get to care about people and mix with people you wouldn't normally see.
9: Boyd, you must strike up some good friendships with, with the residents who come here and work with you.
11: Yeah, you you do. You, uh... You know, many of them are really endearing, and you know, but they're here for three months and then gone. So, yeah, but certainly a lot of them touch your heart while they're here. Yeah. Hi Shannon. Hi, hi Shannon. I said, if you're going to talk to anyone,
7: you are going
11: to talk to Shannon. Oh, yeah, she'll give
9: something to talk about. What are you doing today, Shannon?
5: Today we are planting little baby cucumbers, putting our magic in. And they actually grow quite long, like Jack and Beanstalk, you know. They're beautiful.
9: (laughs) Do you love working with plants?
5: I love working with plants, yes. Coming in, I had lost contact with how much I really love it. And it's a real joy to watch something grow. It's kind of like um, self-growth, you know. You get to learn to start from a seed again and regrow. It's beautiful.
9: Do you get to taste some of the food that you've been growing? Oh,
5: I sure do. Not only do we taste it, but every now and then we'll get some cucumbers. And, you know, us girls, we'll have a night where we put the cucumbers on our eyes and then we'll take beauty tips from the boys. (laughs) Note to self, don't do it, because they uh, made us cover our faces in cucumbers and um, chillies. And they said, the longer it's on there, the better. So we woke up in the morning and we are quite wrinkled up. And we are like, so mad at the boys, but it was our fault, right? Taking advice from a male for beauty tip? What?
9: Yeah, note to self, don't put chillies on face.
5: That's right. It still burns.
9: <laughs> <laughs> Shannon, what's, you know, what's your story? Where are you from? And how did you end up coming down here to Nova Trust?
5: I'm from Tauranga and I am an addict. And I chose this program specifically because we work with plants. Um, Around the North Island and the South Island, this is actually the only rehab center that offers you to put your hands in the dirt Mm. and get in touch with the whenua, you know. Mm. And it it grounds us. And so I love the people here. I love what they have to offer. Boy, it is awesome. Keeps me on my (laughs) toes.
9: How long have you been here?
5: I have been here for six weeks now.
9: And when will you go home?
5: I will go home on the 23rd of November. Yeah, really excited about it, but at the same time have grown such a community here and such a bigger family. And so it's going to be sad to leave, but also good to leave, if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah.
9: So... There's a nice social atmosphere here. You've made friends.
5: Yeah, more than friends. Lifetime friends, if I can say that. Yeah, you know, um, being with others around you that are struggling with the same type of things helped you to feel comfortable within your own skin and understand yourself and also grow within yourself, just like the plants.
9: Was it quite challenging being here for the first few days, obviously uh, facing up to your addiction?
5: Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, Coming from the North Island, I knew that, not only was i stepping away from my family and going away from from my children for the longest i ever have but also a completely new island and i i was so scared but i knew i needed it you know and i knew i wanted it i wanted it that bad that i was willing to just be alone in a whole new complete environment and they Except me with open arms, the staff, everybody.
9: There's a really good vibe here.
5: Yeah, it is, isn't it? A real funky one, I <laughs>
9: <laughs> Um, Tell me about your children.
5: Um, my children, I have a 22-year-old, 19-year-old, 18-year-old, and a baby who's six. And we're all best friends, you know. And um, sadly, they had to watch their mum struggle. And what woke me up was actually seeing the pain in their eyes and the fear. They weren't angry at me. They weren't you know, judging me, they were scared because they wanted their mum back. Yeah, because they love you. That's right, that's right. And to come from children who love you that much to support me through this journey, made it that much easier, and they always say to me, like I'll send them photos of us in these gardens and that, and they're like, mum, it's more like you're on camp than you're at rehab, you, you seem like you're having so much fun, I'm like, yeah, we are yes. you know, it's, it's Um, I, if I'm honest, I thought I was going to be sitting in a corner shaking for like three months you know, yeah. but no, actually this place has helped me to grow, and to love myself for who I am and to accept myself, which is amazing
9: If you don't mind me asking, what's drug are you rehabilitating from
5: methamphetamine cannabis and alcohol yep
9: mm. <laughs> and and how is that going
5: it's going great i have learnt that i know within myself i can't touch these things you know i've tried to do it by myself before and sometimes it doesn't work for us you know sometimes we have to step out and take this self reflection journey on our own mm. and find ourselves because mm. sometimes we're easily influenced as i am I tend to go with the flow, and I'm quite impulsive too, like, yeah, let's do that. Mm. But now I'm (laughs) learning that um, my impulsiveness isn't always a great thing. It can lead me astray. Mm. So this place is helping me to get to know what Shannon wants and who Shannon is and what she wants in her future. Yeah.
9: Mm. Can you see yourself working in the horticultural industry in the future?
5: I can, I can, absolutely. It's a beautiful skill to gain, and it's really, like, I'm a really bad singer, but I love singing. You probably heard me. Um, but the plants don't complain. You know, they're my best days, Apparently,
9: so sure music they're... actually helps plants to grow.
5: Even if it's sung badly. <laughs>
9: oh, lovely! I oh, will. Um, thank you so much for chatting to me, Shannon. And uh, what's on the agenda for the rest of the day?
5: For the rest of the day, after here, we have lunch and we eat these little babies and our salads, and then we have our skills program in the afternoon, and then gym. Gym. Yeah. So you're pumping weights. Yeah, pumping weight. And then we also do a lot of walking and we go down and feed horses, even though they don't like cucumbers very much, fussy. But yeah, it just grows you, this place. There's so much to offer here, like more than people actually know.
2: Shannon, one of Nova Trust's residents, speaking to Cosmo Kentish-Barnes. Cosmo was also speaking to fellow residents Peter and Sam and Nova Trust staff Jade Linklater, Harry Revar, Steve Russell and Boyd Warren.
1: And that's all we've got time for today. Uh, do check out our webpage for stories and photos of the features you've heard on the show. Thanks for joining us. Bye now. Kakite.